As uh, we come to our scripture reading this morning, you can turn over to page 3 and you'll find our our text for this morning. We're going to take uh, a break, a one-week break from our series in the book of Ephesians uh, to do a little bit something different connected with the Lord's Supper, trying to get ourselves ready uh, for this New Testament picture of the gospel by examining an Old Testament picture of the gospel. We're going to go back to the book of Leviticus, and we're going to look at one of the sacrifices that God appointed in that age to be a type and shadow of the Lord Jesus. So an Old Testament picture pointing forward to get us ready for a New Testament picture pointing backward, all with Christ at the center. Uh, I, I think, uh, Lord willing, this is this will actually turn into a, a little series of sermons. The next couple times we celebrate the Lord's Supper, looking at, at the five different types of sacrifices that God appointed in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look at them one and one, one at a time, and see how they each point to the work of Christ in a slightly different way. And, uh, and if you've been around for a while, you, you might know half a decade ago we studied the whole book of Leviticus. We're not going to do that again. Uh, but what we are going to do is look at these different sacrifices in a little bit of a different way. How does this show me Jesus and get me ready for the Lord's Supper? So today we're going to come to the first of those sacrifices, uh, the whole burnt offering, uh, and ask that question. Our, our scripture reading is actually going to start back in the book of Exodus. You might remember Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So the book of Exodus ends and Leviticus starts. And so we'll find out where one ends and the other begins because, as we'll see, they're connected. So let's read the end of the book of Leviticus, or end of the book of Exodus, the beginning of Leviticus uh, together, because it is God's word to us. This is Exodus, starting at Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Then into the book of Leviticus, the very next verse of Scripture, uh, one, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall bring an offering, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that it may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. 
And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, uh, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priests shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would use your word. You tell us that all of your word is profitable uh, to equip and instruct. And so use this, we do pray, for us, uh, Lord, showing us the glory of your plan and your son. We pray it in his name. Amen. So God has just delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Right? For, for, for all those years, enslaved by Pharaoh, God has set them free. Miraculous, through great signs. But his plan was not just to get them out of trouble. His plan was to bring together his people so that he could dwell among them. And that's why, in the end of the book of Exodus, he goes on for some 15 chapters about this structure that they are to erect, what's called the tabernacle or the, or the tent of meeting. It's going to be the place where the glory of God will dwell right in the middle of his people. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting. You read the description and you start to see in the details, everything says royalty, kingship. Uh, the, the tent is made out of the finest materials. All the, the furniture inside covered with gold. Uh, that, that innermost room, uh, there is where the Ark of the Covenant is. The Ark of the Covenant that's described as God's royal footstool. Uh, the cover on it, his, his throne. Uh, the, 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 the curtains, the, the fabric around it, stitched with pictures of angels, his angelic attendants. The picture is... God, his kingship, and his presence. And sure enough, we read at the end of Exodus, after, after chapters after chapter after chapter of God telling the people how they're to make the tabernacle, and then chapter after chapter of them actually building it, now it's done, and what happens? But the glory cloud of the Lord descends and, and fills the tabernacle. A God's special presence dwelling right there, right in the middle of his people. That was exactly what God had planned. Because uh, that is exactly uh, what his eternal purpose is. And that is exactly what life is. God dwelling with his people. And so the glory cloud comes and descends and it fills it. And, and God's people rightly rejoicing. This is fabulous. God is dwelling among his people. But there's also a problem. God is dwelling among his people because he's a holy God and the people is not, are not holy. So it's, it's a good news, but it also brings up a very big problem. How is it that God could dwell right in the midst of a bunch of sinners? As a holy God, as a righteous judge who cannot be near sin and must, must bring forth the righteous penalty for what sin is. So how is God going to dwell among this people and not destroy them? You remember how Exodus describes this people? They're the ones who, 
only a couple chapters after being released by God and great miracles and wonders, and only chapters later they're they're complaining about what God has hasn't given them yet and why they'd be better off if God hadn't touched them at all and they stayed in Egypt. Uh, this same people that that only a, only a, a few. Uh, a few days after God had descended in glory on Sinai, that they're off making a different God and bowing down to it? Uh, this people, not very holy at all. Uh, and God's going to dwell in the midst of them? How is it, uh, how is it that God is going to be there and not destroy them, not judge them? So, good news, God dwelling among his people, big problem. How's this going to work? It's not all that different from the situation we face, that all people face. God is a holy God, and we're not so holy. Maybe you think of it in this way, uh, just, just walking before the Lord in his world right now. Uh, or maybe you think about it even more intensely about uh, after death, and you stand before the throne of God. Uh, or even, even here, as we come to worship, we talk about the Lord being present with us, or come to the Lord's table as a God dwell, or having communion with his people, a meal with the Lord. How is it that you and I could be, be God could be near us as sinners, and, and we not be judged by it? Under his judgment now, uh, at, at, at death, judged then, here? How could that possibly work? Uh, that's where we need to begin, is the, is the perilous situation that we're in. Uh, we are more like the Israelites than, than we are different than them. Now, I mean, think about it. We kind of do the same sorts of things. We might come to worship on a Sunday and hear all these great things that God has done, the wonderful things uh, he's done for us, and then it's not too many, okay, maybe not chapters later, maybe not too many hours later, that we end up complaining about God, something he's given or not given to us, and we grumble like the Israelites in the wilderness. Or, or not, too many, uh, not too many hours after, after we leave the, the glory uh, of, the, of worship with the Lord that we end up bowing down to some other God, looking to some earthly created thing as if it was our help and hope. And Yeah, we're not much different than the Israelites. So we too... We're in this perilous situation. How in the world is this going to work? And we should think about that as we come as we come to the Lord's Supper. Wrestle with it. Because, of course, what we have here is God's solution. But it's not going to mean very much if you don't understand the problem. If we don't wrestle with the, the depth of our need, God's provision is going to seem uninteresting? Trivial? And so where it starts is, wow, how was how my sin going to be dealt with before a holy God? Have you wrestled with that? That perilous situation as, as a sinner, an unholy individual before a holy God? That's, that's where it starts. But it's not where it stops. We wrestle with the need. We're, we're cognizant of big problem. But then we see that God provides a solution. Uh, what we're calling in our outline the, the pristine substitute. So we start with the perilous situation, uh, a holy God in the midst of an unholy people, 
And then you have the pristine substitute. Uh, book of Exodus ends with this good news, God's dwelling among his people, but oops, big problem, they're not holy. How's this going to work? The book of Leviticus begins with God's solution. And notice it is God's solution, right? The very first verse is God speaks. So the solution we're talking about here isn't, isn't men figured out a way to make this work, right? As you think about your need, I think about my need. It's not, okay, quick, we've got to figure something out. We've got to do something. The good news is God does something. God takes the initiative. Even before we could completely wrap our mind around the problem, uh, let alone actually do something that fits. God does something. So God speaks. And what's the, what's the very first thing he speaks of? A sacrificial substitute. He deals with an unholy people by, by rescuing them through a substitutionary sacrifice. And as we mentioned, uh, there's actually five different types of sacrifices that the Leviticus names out. But the very first one is the most prominent and the most dramatic. It's the whole burnt offering, or just the burnt offering. Uh, Leviticus 1 actually describes that you could, you could offer three different types. It could be something from the, the herd or the, the flock, so cattle, sheep, or if, you're, if you can't afford them, even birds. And it describes the procedure for each, each one, but it's basically the same, so we just read about cattle. Uh, and you got the basic procedure laid out. The worshiper would come, Right, the, the individual Israelite, the, the individual sinner, comes to the tabernacle. Right? That's the, there's the, the presence of God, but he doesn't come alone, just him and his sin. He comes with this, this animal, uh, lays his hands upon the head of the animal. And the animal's killed, uh, the blood is poured out, and the entire animal is burned on the altar before the Lord. So, what's going on there? Well, several things we, we want to notice. First, notice that the sacrifice is costly. It's costly. Now, that the animals that are named, that God says, here's what you could do for a burnt offering, they're all, interestingly, domestic animals. None of them are wild game. Right? It's, it's not like you could, um, you could just go out and kill a deer or something like that. You know? In other words, it had to be a domestic animal from your flock, from your herd, or you purchased it. Uh, unless you're really poor and then provision is made for that. Uh, but in other words, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you quite a bit. Uh, and, and even, even in, the, in, in the details of it, it has to be a male from the herd. Uh, males are more expensive, more valuable than, than female. So it's, it's really costly. And then uh, we're told that the entire thing is burned on the altar which is slightly different than some of the other sacrifices where some of the meat is held back or you even get some of the meat. No, not with this one. The entire thing offered up. It costs something. And we're told very specifically, you're to offer a spotless animal. So not the, not the sick sheep that's about to die anyway, not the crippled animal. Uh, no, spotless, without blemish. Not just because, well, God deserves the best. Well, he does. But there's even more powerful symbolism. It's got to be a spotless animal because the point is, this animal is to be a pristine substitute for you, an unpristine worshiper. 
really should focus in on what's the key verse here, and that's verse 4. So go back to verse 4. This is really where the whole thing comes together. So talking about this individual worshiper coming with the, uh, with the, the, the cattle, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be acceptable for him to make atonement for him. So here's the, here's the, the sinful Israelite coming with this spotless animal, valuable, spotless animal, brings the animal forth, puts his hand on the head of the animal. Actually, it's, it's even stronger language. It's the language of pressing in, leaning down. And, and the image there is identification, right? Putting your hands, leaning down, identifying myself with this animal. In order that the animal becomes a substitute, right? You're the sinner, you're the one who's unholy, and thus, in the presence of God, deserves by righteousness and justice of the Lord to be struck down. Right? The wages of sin is death. You deserve to die, but you bring this spotless one, one that's not blemished. You're the blemished one, but here's this, this substitute, not blemished, valuable, costly. You identify yourself with that animal, and then it's the animal who ends up killed and offered completely unto the Lord. Uh, did you notice how it's stressed? Right in there in verse 4, lay hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him in his place to make atonement for him. Substitute to make atonement. Atonement. There's a, there's a big theological word. It basically connects two ideas. Uh, atonement, you make purification and you pay the ransom price. Make purification, pay the ransom price. So, right, so uh, as, as, as a sinner right there before God, right, uh, impure, how am I, the sinful Israelite, going to be made pure? And here's the, the picture is, right, the, the substitute. And through his, the substitute's death, I'm purified before God. And the reason is, and the connection to it is, the ransom price is paid so that I can go free, so that I can be forgiven uh, the price is paid, and here's the, the price. The innocent, the spotless, dies in place of the guilty. Can you start to see how this points to Jesus? Can you see the connections? It always was meant to. That was always the point. right? The, the animals never really dealt with sin, as Hebrews puts it, uh, but gets God's people ready, provides pictures and types and shadows, looking forward to the ultimate. Actually, we read of it this morning. You can probably see it there at the at the top of your, your sheet on there on page on page three from First Peter. Uh, let's read eighteen and nineteen again and listen with Leviticus ears. Can you hear Leviticus here? First uh, Peter one, talking about Jesus, uh, is saying, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with precious things such as gold or silver but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See the picture? Right. We're, we're the sinners. We're the ones corrupted, polluted in the feudal ways of, of this world. And we're set free. A ransom price is paid. What's that ransom price? 
it, it, it's, it's more precious than gold or silver, more costly. It's Christ. It's Christ given as the whole burnt offering, right? Like a lamb without blemish, without spot. Jesus is, is as it were, offered up on the altar of the cross. He gives his entire being. And the, 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 the fires of the wrath of God there at the cross fall down on Christ as our spotless substitute. They should fall on us. We, we deserve that judgment of God. But here is the, the spotless substitute that goes in our place so that we can be purified, ransomed, set free. Right? You see, see how it points us to Leviticus? And then you can see how this, this then gets us ready for the Lord's Supper as we, as we use now New Testament pictures and symbolism, but it's the same thing. Thinking about the, the spotless a sinless body of Christ, wholly given for us. Or his, his, his blood, as the blood of the sacrifices poured out on the side of the altar. Here is his blood poured out on that, that great day, once and for all, for us. To ransom, purify, rescue. And there's, there's, there's nothing that we do to win it. Is Christ your substitute? Are you trusting in him? Right? We've already realized that there was a perilous situation. Sinners before an unholy God, unholy people, and a, and a very holy God. Wow, we need, we need a rescue. Well, here's the only rescue. It's Jesus. Here's the only sacrifice for sin. It's Christ. Uh, so are you trusting in him as the only substitute? Uh, as it were, uh, you're... you're Laying your hands upon him. You're, you're leaning into Christ because this is your only hope. You're trusting in him, in what he did. Uh, not trying to contribute anything, but just saying, I, I'm in trouble. Here's my substitute. Here's my hope. Leaning upon Christ. And we'll get to, that's not something you just do once in the Christian life. That's the whole Christian life. And indeed, we'll get to live that out as we, as we take. Right? It's, it's kind of like leaning on the sacrifice. We, we take, not that this is a sacrifice, we'll talk about that later, um, but grabbing the finished work of Christ. So we have the perilous situation, the pristine substitute, and the pleasing results. Here's where this goes. <clears throat> and it has us considering the final verse in our reading, verse 9. Uh, it's a phrase that is repeated three different times in Leviticus 1. As Leviticus 1 goes through each, the different types of burnt offerings that are possible, uh, the herd, the flock, and birds, and, and each time it uses this phrase from, from verse 9, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you kind of get the, 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 the picture of it, right? The, the animal there is burned on the altar, and it smoke comes up, and you can smell it. Uh, and, and, you know, it rises up, as it were, to heaven, and, and God says, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Uh, now, have you ever read that and scratched your head? Uh, or maybe even now, you're thinking about that. That just seems weird. Uh, maybe even, even more than weird. That's a little odd and maybe even twisted. Is God this, this God who just 
Oh, he loves to smell the burning flesh of animals. Ah, that's wonderful. Is that what we're saying? That's weird. Uh, what kind of God is this? But you got to take it in the context of what's happening here. It's not, it's not, oh, God just loves burning animals. No. What, what is pleasing to the Lord is the sacrifice that accomplishes his will. Right? His whole plan uh, through these verses from the end of Exodus into Leviticus, his whole plan is to have this people, his people, before him, and he to dwell among them. There's his desire. And to do it, to accomplish what his plan in his heart is, he has to deal with their sin. They're unholy. That sin has to be dealt with. And he provides the way. He provides the spotless substitute. And the sacrifice is offered. And the, and the, 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 the smell that goes up is this symbol. Of it. It's done. It's, it's offered. And God is pleased. His heart has been accomplished. His plan has been brought to bear. He wanted to rescue a people, and he's done it. And it's pleasing to him. Uh, what, a, what a glorious picture. God has been honored as the Holy One, as the, as the just one, uh, as the, the righteous judge, and yet also at the very same time glorified as the one who saves and rescues and forgives. Uh, he's both just and the justifier of the ungodly, and that picture uh, is pleasing to him. It honors him. Uh, he is pleased. Notice, uh, I'm going to read a verse from Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. See the same language, but now we're talking about Jesus. So, Ephesians 5, 2. Paul says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's that, it's that sacrificial language. It's that aroma picture. And here's the ultimate that the old just pointed to in shadows that Jesus has offered up. Uh, the, the, the ultimate, the final sacrifice. And that there at the cross, as he's offered up as this finished sacrifice, God's plan, God's heart, God's delight is accomplished. He's honored as the Holy One, as justice dealt with. He's, he's glorified as the, the one who loves the unlovable and rescues just and the justifier. And the sacrifice of Christ accomplishes it, his will to grab a people, to rescue a people. And he is pleased. It's a fragrant aroma to the Lord, uh, the finished work of his son. And that gets personal for us, for you who believe. Right? If, you're, if you're one who is, 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 is resting on Christ, as it were, your, your hands are leaning upon Christ as this is my only hope. This is my spotless substitute, the only one there is. Right? If you're trusting in Christ, then you can be confident that God is not just pleased generally, but he's pleased with you. God is pleased with you. Have you ever thought about that? Let that, let that one rattle around in your head a little bit. God is pleased with you. 
we've already said, it's not that we're not sinners. We are. Uh, in and of ourselves, unholy, unacceptable in God's sight. But now, the, the, the sacrifice has been offered. Has been offered. The, the purification has been done. Ransom, rescue. And God is pleased generally with the work of his son, but specifically in rescuing you. And so you and I come before him, and he's pleased. We could put it this way. The, the smile of God rests upon your life, believer. The smile of God rests upon your life. That, that God looks at you in Christ and says, This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. With him, with her, I am well pleased. You remember those words? That's what, that's what the Father said to Jesus. Yeah, but if you're if you're trusting Christ, you are in Christ, and and, and the the the, pl the pleasure of God in His Son is now the pleasure of God in you. This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased. You, my beloved daughter, I am well pleased. Right, all wrapped up in not in what you do, but what in Christ has done for you. Uh, maybe you never thought that was possible. That. That God could be actually pleased with you. That the smile of God could rest upon your life. Maybe you, you kind of walk through life and there's always this kind of simmering guilt in the background. Yeah, God's just, he's just frustrated with me. Uh, maybe you're tempted to come to the, to the Lord's table, kind of slumped over. He's not going to be happy to see me. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you're tempted... To think, okay, I got to quick come up with you know those quiet moments. I got to quick come up with a list, uh, a couple of things that God would be impressed with. Uh, I think I read my Bible sometime recently. How's that, God? Or or I went to church this morning. How about this? Or uh, you know, you don't need to do that. You come and God is pleased with you, believe me. right? Not because of who you are back there, but who Christ is right here, and so He's pleased. It also means that when we jump back into life tomorrow, you don't have to run around through life uh, trying, to, uh, trying to make yourself feel okay. Impress everybody out there, uh, kind of list up enough accomplishments that you can feel good and satisfied with yourself. You don't have to be, be frustrated and fall apart if there's a criticism of who you are uh, because, because the only opinion that really matters the only verdict that really matters on your life, that's already settled. And you get the picture of it, the guarantee of it right here. So you're, you're free when you go forward. How about this? Would it be appropriate for us to come to the Lord's table with a smile on our face? Really? I know we don't normally do that. Normally, you know, we come to the Lord's table and there's kind of quiet moments and usually it's more a more somber expression. And that's, that's not altogether inappropriate. It is a somber, solemn, holy thing we're doing. And so we don't want to be flippant or silly or anything. But, but would it not be also appropriate to come with a smile? Knowing that, that the smile of God rests upon us, that he is, 
He is well pleased with the sacrifice of his son that's pictured here. And, and you get this to receive this pledge, this symbol, this, uh, this, this seal that you take in that's, that's God pleased with you because of his son. That's something to smile about. That's a kind of holy gospel joy that you can, you can smile about. Not, not silly, but real gospel joy. Here and really throughout your whole life. Not because of what you've done because of, or because of who you are, but because of what the Lord has done for you. So, why don't we come smiling? But first we'll pray and then, and then sing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your great and powerful love, the sacrifice of your son, your great plan, uh, Lord, even to rescue us and name us as your people. Lord, how good you are, how faithful to your promises, and uh, we praise you and pray that you would strengthen us. Uh, Lord, even with this good news this day, we pray in Jesus' name.